Black Panther Wakanda Forever, the 30th. 30th movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe is finally upon us. Bahir and I managed to see it at a press screening, and we have plenty of thoughts. But if you don't know, because you've been living under a rock, this is, of course, the sequel to Black Panther, and it has, let's just say, a tremendous burden because this movie has to deal with the death of Chadwick Boseman. Now, it feels like any Black Panther sequel would have had a tough job anyway, given the sheer cultural impact of the first movie. And so, with Wakanda Forever, I think director Ryan Coogler had an even more monumental task. When Chadwick Boseman died, they had to rework the entire story, rework the entire movie. And I think a decision was made early on not to recast T'Challa. And so what you are left with is a film in which all of its main characters, mostly women, are left dealing with the death of both Chadwick Boseman and T'Challa. And watching this movie... I found it really fascinating because it's one of these rare moments when reality and art kind of coincide in that the movie begins right off the bat with the funeral, with the death of T'Challa. Like it starts at that point. It happens within the first five seconds of the film, if you will. And then it just kind of moves on into the plot of the story. And I found that to be an incredibly interesting approach because... It meant that the film is aware that the audience knows what happened in real life and therefore very little explanation is required. Yeah. So it's not just that the character has died, it's that this actor has died. We acknowledge that. We know we have to move on and we're now going to tell this story in its stead. And I think they handled it really beautifully. It wasn't a drawn out thing. It was emotional. It was heartfelt. You could feel that everybody from the writers to the actors to the director was sort of it was almost cathartic to do those sequences because they got to celebrate the passing of a friend the passing of this hero both in real life and in character i thought the funeral was beautiful the new orleans style street party thing i thought that was a real testament to the writing of this show that they make it not a sad thing, but a continuation of the person's journey, etc. All of that was beautiful. Like I said, heartfelt, emotional. My problem is with what comes after that in the next two hours, 15 minutes of the movie. I've said it on record many times that I wasn't head over heels with the first Black Panther. In retrospect, I figured out I think it's because the... CG in there was so jarring that it kicked me out constantly that I just couldn't get into it. This movie does a great job helping the audience move on from the passing of T'Challa, but I think the story itself wasn't done well. I think there's a lot happening in this film. On the one hand, it tries to be this catharsis for the audience. On the other hand, they're trying to plot out this global political intrigue espionage story. Mm. On another level, they're also trying to 
tear apart the mythologies of Wakanda itself by introducing Talokan and Namor and the Atlanteans, but they don't necessarily refer to them as the Atlanteans in any way because they've changed yeah. Namor's origin story a little bit, but in a way that I can completely get behind. I think all of that was just beautifully done and executed. There is also this idea of what Black Panther should be and whether Black Panther should be. Because one of the core themes throughout this story is Shuri grappling with tradition versus the science and technology that she loves or that she worships. And so it's great that they actually build on that and kind of develop her character in that way as a conflict to who her mother is and what she believes in. Because now there's more to it, right? She's no longer the sister of the king. She is the next in line. She is potentially the next in line. She is the one remaining child of this royal family, right? So she she now has to grapple with this idea of a new responsibility. On top of which, she no longer has her elder brother, the king, the Black Panther, to sort of protect her against the traditionalists. I think Black Panther Wakanda Forever is an interesting film because it's not a terrible movie. It's actually a very good and well-crafted film. I think it's just messy because it tries to do too much. But all of the yeah. things I think it's trying to do as elements are executed well. As a whole, it feels a little messy. I think when it really starts getting going, you're invested and you're in it because there is a certain amount of suspense and tension that exists throughout the film. And yeah. I think all of that's played very well. I just wish maybe they focused a little more. I think that's all I wish. Because I think the core story of Shuri trying to deal with grief, of Queen Ramonda dealing with the death of everyone, of having her husband taken away from her, of having her son taken away from her, of having to be queen once again and run this country. I think all of that is just so emotional, so heavy. There's so much meat there that it could have carried this movie. I think having Martin Freeman show up as Everett Ross, I think having all of these side plots felt almost like it distracted from that. And, and, I, and I understand where they were going because the plot isn't anything new. As in the plot is built on this idea of, oh, the king is dead, the country is vulnerable. Now is the time everyone's going to take advantage. You're right, but it never does it. What you're saying is true, but that threat never comes across, right? There was a bit in the beginning where Queen Ramonda is at the UN. And yep, okay, cool. But that was very early in the film and none of them come back. So there's the threat of, of Martin Freeman and Julia Louis-Dreyfus' characters potentially doing something, but nothing happens. That, that threat sort of peters out and disappears. There's a couple of scenes with the both of them that seem cute, seem funny, but it never does anything. And I think the fact that those things feel like drop-offs, for me, a part of me is wondering if it's set up for future films, which I think is inelegant because you're assuming people will watch this and remember it for the next film when suddenly Julia Louis-Dreyfus's character is trying to, I don't know, attack Wakanda or whatever, right? A lot of the story threads are inelegant. Riri Williams's character is inelegant. I've read descriptions and interviews about how 
you know, Riri Williams is supposed to be the foil to Shuri in a similar exploration of the characters between T'Challa and Killmonger. And I'm like, nah, don't see it. Oh, I don't see that at all. Didn't come through at all. Which is unfortunate. And I think you're right. I think inelegant is probably the best way to phrase it because I think by trying to cram the MCU-ness into this story, which had to be scaled back, which was forced to be scaled back, I think the movie became inelegant. I think if they had scaled back the story and told this meditation of grief that everybody wanted to see, that the audience needed, that the actors needed, that the MCU needed, then you would have a much more powerful film. At the moment, those elements are all incredibly powerful. But every time you had to cut away to an action sequence or a political thriller sequence, it almost felt forced and shoehorned into this particular movie. Forced and shoehorned is one, but it also feels like a real... You almost get whiplash because none of that has got the emotional weight to this story. Even the stuff with... Sorry, quickly. I'm going to be pronouncing it Namor just as a... Because I love that. I love the explanation. All the stuff with Namor and and the Atlanteans and, and the Wakandans, that worked well enough in the context of the passing of the king, etc., etc., etc. But the politics stuff, the Americanisms of the CIA was completely unnecessary. I thought Riri Williams was completely unnecessary. She does very little in this. She's like America Chavez in Doctor Strange. It really feels like a hey, we want to do this character later, so let's throw her in here. Which I feel is unfortunate because Miss Marvel didn't have that and she had a great TV show. But also you can do that well. You can do that like how they did Spider-Man in Civil War. Spider-Man had a glorified cameo in Civil War, nothing more. And yet it worked really, really well in introducing the character and his relationship with Tony Stark. And then you moved on to Spider-Man Homecoming, and it was fine. It was great. It worked. Here, Riri Williams was underwritten. She was the MacGuffin of the show more than anything else. And I think because they were trying to cram all of these things, it suffers from a real pacing issue in that if this movie had been 20 minutes shorter, it would have been a much tighter, much more propulsive experience at the cinema. Yeah. And right now, I think... There's a reason why we are willing to put up with it. It's because we're dealing with that anguish and grief that this movie is trying to channel. And so you think it requires this sort of pace to kind of handle all of that. I don't necessarily think it does. Even in keeping with the action pace, that can be worked into the grief thing, right? Like Shuri refusing to deal with the passing and she's deciding to distract herself from the grief by focusing on these things that she can try and manage or whatever, right? So there's the use of Namor as the distraction to the grief that the family is dealing with. And you could have stuck with that and you could still keep that propulsive nature of the film. You can still keep the emotional moments without having to suddenly go back to, you know, Boston for some reason with... Julia Louis-Dreyfus and we're suddenly at Everett Ross's house and he made, and it's just like, why are we here? I All of that really felt weird. The world building is absolutely fantastic. Seeing the Talokans and their underwater city is beautiful. The music from the score from Ludwig Gornson oh. to all of the stuff they did with African music and Aztec sounds and 
uh, it's just absolutely magnificent as a whole this thing is a sight to behold it is beautifully put together and all of that works for me there are still surprises in this film and i think that's what well, that's what took me aback. I didn't expect to be surprised in this movie and there were still a couple of moments, you know what I'm talking about, where yeah. I was like, oh, didn't see that coming. Cool. Nice little twist. Very interesting angles. I like it. All of that worked for me. But also, it wasn't, it wasn't fan service. It wasn't because it makes complete sense within it makes the narrative complete arc. It makes sense in the narrative of that character. Of these characters. Was, yes, I was, absolutely. I was, I have to admit, we're talking around it. I was concerned about who it was going to be. But when we saw who it was, it just like, you know, no, absolutely. That makes perfect sense because that's where the character was heading and whether or not they go through with that is something that they would have to deal with moving forward. Ugh. There's a lot here I wanted to love. Well, let me put it this way. There's a lot here I do love. Okay. But there is also a lot here that I have reservations about. I think it ranks as a very good Phase 4 movie. It is much better than a lot of the other Phase 4 films that we've seen. You know, it's better than Eternals. It's better than Black Widow. It's better than Strange. I still prefer Thor Love and Thunder because I haven't had that much fun in the cinema in a long time. But... Yeah. I think Black Panther is a very well-made movie. It just didn't blow me away the way I was expecting it to. It didn't blow me away the way I was hoping it would. I wasn't expecting for it to happen. I was kind of hoping for it to happen. But I also go back to how this movie and so many of the other Phase 4 movies seem to suffer from the burden of being an MCU movie. Like, as Ryan Coogler was making this film, I am sure he was told these are the marks you have to hit. If you are setting up, if you're hinting at this big geopolitical thing that we saw in The Falcon and the Winter Soldier, that we saw in Black Widow, we don't know what Agent 13 is up to. Maybe it ties into what Julia Louis-Dreyfus and Everett Ross are hinting at in this movie. If you're going to do all of that, right, mm. it feels like people are always going to be left unsatisfied. Because yet again, this is just another cog in the wheel. And yeah. I think Wakanda Forever couldn't have been that or shouldn't have been that because of the weight of what it had to deal with. Yeah. And no, the burden of being an MCU movie means that all of these hints are dropped. It becomes very unsatisfying for the audience and for the consumer because right now I have no answers to the actual narrative plot of this movie. I have yeah. answers to how I'm supposed to feel about Chadwick's death and how everyone in Wakanda feels about it. That's great. That's fine. That is incredibly satisfying. But moving on from that point, I can probably list about 15 questions right now that this movie poses that it doesn't actually answer because it's setting up for I don't know how many movies that are yet to come. And that's the thing that we all keep forgetting, right? The first batch of movies that were only subsequently called Phase 1 films were good standalone movies. Think about think about the first Guardians film. We had no idea. Maybe we had an idea. But we weren't concerned about whether or not which stone that was for which Infinity Gauntlet. Correct. We didn't care. We just wanted to see these guys do a dance-off with Ronan, you know, and it was, it was funny, it was great, but all of those films, early films, did that. 
they told a really interesting story with a hint of this, with a hint of that. Here in Wakanda Forever, there's this potential idea of a geopolitical thing that may come up in the future. When, we don't know. Why, we don't know. And I think that's my biggest disappointment with this movie because that geopolitical thriller element, that tension there was really good and I didn't get a satisfying resolution to it. Like, yeah. there are these attacks. You see it in the trailers. There are these attacks on these seaports or whatever they're supposed to be mm. and these things happen and they're like, oh, who's behind it? What's going on? You know, it's what they did in Winter Soldier. But Winter Soldier had a finite ending and a resolution. And yes, it set up a yeah. whole bunch of other things by destroying Hydra. But at the same time, that movie answered its questions and wrapped itself up. This one, the only thing that really wraps itself up is one, who is the next Black Panther? And two, how do we all feel about Chadwick Boseman's death? Yeah. I think any Marvel movie that we speak about these days, one, is going to bear the burden of expectation no matter what. It's like reviewing a Pixar movie. It's like reviewing an Apple product, right? They are the most yeah. successful in the world. And so therefore, they will be put under greater scrutiny. That's one. And then the second thing is how long can they continue to keep us on the hook like this? Because it becomes incredibly unsatisfying. Like you may enjoy it as you are watching it, but then when those final 10 minutes roll around and you know there are all these post-credit sequences coming, you're going to end up feeling like, I just got to wait for the next movie now. And that's assuming the next one answers anything. Because again, we still have questions from the Eternals that haven't been answered, you know? Why is nobody talking about this big giant thing that's floating in the middle of the ocean? That's sort of the problem the MCU is now facing. Black Panther Wakanda Forever is a solid time at the cinema. You will not be angry with it. You may be yes. a little disappointed. But for the most part, I think you will have a fantastic time while you're watching this film. And I say yeah. that because the production is just above and beyond. The music is fantastic. Everything looks absolutely stunning. And the performances are tremendous. Yeah, absolutely. Can I Angela just call Bassett? Out Angela Bassett. Fuck. Ugh. Just it's, I there were moments in this film I was thinking to myself, she should be Black Panther. <laughs> she should take on the role. I let's know, not right? argue about should She's it be Mbaku so or cool. should we no 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 should be fucking Angela Bassett. Let's do let's do that. The strongest thing that this movie does, and it does it in such a unassuming way, is that I believe this is probably the first superhero movie to be completely and entirely centered around women. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't make a big deal out of it. It doesn't rub your face in it. It just yeah. is. Every lead. I mean, there are moments when we were watching this movie and I was thinking to myself, this is Angela Bassett's movie. Angela Bassett is the lead of a Black Panther movie. That's what's happening right now. Yeah. We're curious to know what you think about Black Panther Wakanda Forever. I mean, if it is about catharsis and just catharsis, did it scratch that itch? Is this what you were waiting for? Is this what you were expecting? How do you think it fits into the MCU as a Marvel movie? Because I have to say, Ryan Coogler does break away from the template as much as he can. Yeah. And I think at the moments when he does, it's actually a very successful film. It's only when he seems to be forced back into, we have to do this for the next 20 movies, that it actually slowly falls apart. What would you give this movie out of 10? I know we don't normally do it in our reviews, but 
I, I just think it's fair to do it for this one. I don't usually give 0.5 scores, but for me, this is between a 6 and a 7. I was going to say, this is exactly the same thing for me. Yeah. 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 It's a, it's it's a, a good solid 6.5. It's a solid yeah. movie, by no means a great movie. Yeah, it's borderline good. <laughs> you know what I mean? Popcorn fare is what I would call this yeah. movie. Which is unfortunate. And yet again, it's unfortunate only because the first Black Panther was this cultural landmark. And mm. it was something that Marvel does very well from time to time, where they can take these cultural ideas, blend it in with some good popcorn fare, and you have this mass appeal movie that says something, but at the same time is just tremendously entertaining. It's a very fine balance. You know, people like Spielberg can pull it off. Abrams used to be able to pull it off. But for me, the first one, the the reason it became this cultural zeitgeist thing, the first Black Panther, was that it never alienated anybody. And I thought that that was a beautiful thing that it did. All right. Let us know what you think. You know how to reach out. GogglerMY, all of our social media feeds. You can also email us on podcast at goggler.my or send us a WhatsApp on the Goggler hotline, 012-524-5208. Thank you so much for listening. This is The Goggler Podcast.